I'm going to talk to you today. This is a, I've never thought about Joshua being a Father's Day message before, but it's a powerful Father's Day message. And if you're familiar with the Summit family, you know that on Father's Day and on Mother's Day, that we do not just honor our biological fathers and mothers, but we also point out to the fact that God gives us spiritual fathers and mothers. Amen? Paul was a father to Timothy. It's so very evident in Scripture. We see other mentors. And Joshua was a biological father, we believe. The Jewish Talmud speaks of him having daughters. It doesn't say in Scripture that he had sons or daughters, but in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, he makes a declaration to the entire nation of Israel. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And included in that would most likely mean his family, his children. So I want you to look at Joshua with me today, and I want you to see a man who was a spiritual father to an entire nation and also a biological father, and how that he led them. And what I want to talk to you today about is Joshua is an example of a father that leads his children to victory. I want you to think about that. A father that leads his children to victory. Now, we know as earthly fathers, we're not perfect, are we? We, we make mistakes, we try to do our best, but we're not perfect. But we can follow our heavenly father and have him work in our lives. And we can lead our children to victory. Amen? How many want to be a father that leads your children to victory? Now, Joshua is an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a picture of how Jesus desires to lead each one of us to victory. And it's also, uh, as I said, a picture of Joshua is a picture of a father who leads us to victory. So let's look at chapter 1. Look at chapter 1 with me, and let's just read a few verses, and then we'll, we'll uh, go through several different verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great, great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. God had a specific plan, an area, a possession for his people. God has a, a specific possession or plan for each one of us to possess. Amen? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many like that promise? Did you know that promise is also in Hebrews? It's chapter 13, verse 5. And it's inclusive, it's speaking to all of us, not just to Moses, not just to Joshua. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I want us to think about this passage because God intends for us to enter in and possess, to rule in life. I want you to think about that. So many times we see people where life just takes hold of them and seems to knock them around. We may have been there ourselves where it seems like we're just, just being beat up by, the, by life itself. 
But in this, in this verse, in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, listen to what God says. For if by one's, one man's offense, death reigned through the one, that's talking about Adam and his fall, and how that sin has been passed down to each one of us. Then it says, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, that's us who have said yes to Jesus, We've received that grace and we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus paying for our sins. It says, will, listen to this, reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. God intends for us to have dominion. Does anybody like that idea? He intends for us to rule in life, not that life would rule and conquer us. But no matter what we face in life, we face many battles. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? And the Lord leads us to victory. And we need to teach that truth to our children. They need to understand that God wants them to reign in life, to rule in life, to have victory in this life. Amen? I've done my best to try to teach that to my children. I didn't tell them that when you accept Christ that everything's going to be perfect, that you'll never have a battle, that you'll never struggle at all. But I told them battles will come in this life, but God gives the enemy over to us. Amen? He gives us the victory. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua knew this. He knew that Moses had died. But God was being point blank with him. He was telling Joshua, Moses' time has ended, and now I'm going to do something new. I'm taking you into a new place. And just as I was with Moses, I am with you. You have been called, you have been chosen to lead these people. And now something's shifting, something's different. Church, we need to teach our children, we need to teach our children not to live in the past. No matter how we stumble or we fall, that we're keeping our eyes on what God wants us to do, where he wants us to go, what future he has for us. Are you with me? Now, you can live in the past, whether it's good or whether it's bad. I've seen people that were living in the past, but they went through something terrible and it was horrible, and they just couldn't be free from it. And it affected every part of their lives because of the tragic thing they went through. And church, I want to tell you, God loves you. He's there for you. And if you give that tragic thing to him, he will bring his healing and his peace and his grace, his mercy and his love, and he will restore you where you don't have to allow that to affect the rest of your life. I've met other people that lived in the past and it wasn't a bad thing that happened. It was something that was great. I know people right now that, that were, were a part of the, the Brownsville revival in Pensacola years ago. And they've never left that. They talk about how wonderful God's presence was. The miracles that they saw. The people that were coming and being saved and baptized and set free and how God was moving. Well, I thank God for what he's done in the past. I thank God for what he did in Brownsville. Lives were changed. They were transformed. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to continue to focus that. Even though it was great, even though it was wonderful, even though God did something awesome, I'm looking for the next Brownsville. I'm looking for God to bring a Brownsville right here. I'm looking for God to move in power and might. Lord, bring revival. We need a move of God. So I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pursue that. I want to see what God's going to do next because God hasn't stopped moving. So we need to teach our children, if you have great encounters with God, 
Don't just be satisfied there. Church, I want to tell you, there have been some great moves of God right here in this wonderful church that Pastor Riley started. Amen? There have been people that have been healed and saved and delivered. This place has been filled with people. And guess what? I'm not going to be satisfied until God does it again. Amen? There's people in this community that need Jesus. And we need to bring them in. We need to tell them what God can do in their life. He'll transform your life. He'll set you free. He'll change you and you'll never be the same again. Amen? So don't be satisfied with the past, but move forward. Know that God's going to do something new. Also in verse 2, it says, Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. The first thing I want us to notice there, this is for everyone. Look at what he says. You and all this people, God is inclusive. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? And he's, he, here he is talking to the people, and he says, Arise and go over this Jordan. So he's telling them to take a stance, take a position, to arise, to get ready, to go forward. Now, he didn't tell them to run, but he told them to get ready to move, to arise, and to go forward. Church, we need to tell our children and train them up in the way that they need to go, that that they need to always have a stance in life. You know, this week I was at one of our security training classes, and um, Dalton and Darren did that class, and one of the things they always start off with is your stance. You know, have, have a stance with your, your one leg a little farther forward than the other one so that you can, you know, move and bend and you're not going to easily be toppled over. And spiritually, that's what they're talking about here. It's having a spiritual stance that when the enemy comes at you, he's not just going to easily topple you over. That you're spiritually structured and ready for the battle. Amen. So we train up our children to be ready, to take a stance. Also, uh, there's something else about Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6, it says, But no one knows his grave to this day. Why do you think God buried Moses without anybody knowing where? I think it was because God didn't want them to build a shrine there. He didn't want them to stay there. He didn't want them to focus their attention on what God had done, but what God was going to do in the future. God wants to do something new in your life. Look at verse 3. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. Feet in the Bible always have to do with dominion. We see that in this verse. God told them to go and walk everywhere, place the foot of their, their, they tread their foot. God says, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. It's talking about dominion, rulership. Notice, the Lord said, I have already given it to you, but you need to go and take it. God says, I'm going to give you the victory. The, The enemy's defeated, but you need to go and take it. That's a spiritual principle for this life. We just don't sit back and say, Lord, just let the blessings come. We don't sit in Egypt by the river bank and say, God set me free. I'm not a slave anymore. No, we go and we arise and we possess the land. We possess what God has for us, the promises that he has for us, the the, the place that he desires for us to be. When God plants you in a place, he intends for you to possess the land. Think about that. It's one thing to rent an apartment and move in. It's something else to own the apartment building. 
God doesn't want you in this life just to, to come in and, 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 and be there. He wants you to establish his rule. How do you do that? By surrendering your rule in your life, saying, my flesh isn't going to rule my life. The enemy isn't going to rule my life. Lord Jesus, you rule my life. That's what, that's what Joshua was saying. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we allow God to rule through us and we say, Lord, I want to possess the land for the kingdom of God. I want to possess the valley. I want to see the valley come to know Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Amen? Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The Lord guaranteed him a victory if he would simply follow the Lord. If there's nothing else your children hear from you spiritually, let them hear that. That if they surrender their heart to Jesus, they commit their life to him and live for him, God's going to give them a victorious life. How many want your kids to have a victorious life? Now again, I want to reemphasize this. You may not be a biological father here today, but God has called every man to be a spiritual father. Are you with me? He has. And I want you to rise up, men, and be the spiritual father and the biological father if you have children. Because that's God's call to us. Look at verse 6. I love this. Be strong and of good courage. Three times in this passage, God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Now, when I read that the first time and I saw that three times, I, I kind of got amused. I thought, of all the people in Israel, Joshua had to be one of the strongest and definitely one of the most courageous. Amen? He was right there serving Moses. He was leading in, in the battles. He was, he was a, a, a godly general and a leader. And yet God is here reminding him three times, be strong and of good courage. Why? Because just like Joshua, no matter how strong or courageous we are, we always need God speaking that into our life. Because we're going to face battles. We're going to face things that the flesh wants to turn and run. The flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with, with this. And men, we need to rise up. Be strong and be courageous. Now, what's interesting, I want to give you the, the Hebrew definition. The word strong that's translated here is quazak. And what it means in the Hebrew is to be strong, but it means to seize and to lay hold of, to get a grip on. And good courage is amitz. And, and the, it's a Hebrew word that means... Keep a hold on and hang on tenaciously. So in this, not only is it being strong and courageous, but the underlying idea is to reach out, to lay a hold of the promises of God and hold on to the promises of God tenaciously. Does anybody like that? Is anybody here today? Y'all are awful quiet today. I don't know about you, church, but I want my children to see me as a father. I want them to see me reaching out and laying hold of the promises of God and hanging on tenaciously through every battle. That's what I desire, and that's what a father's called to do. Verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, 
listen to this, that you may prosper wherever you go. We need to teach our children that no matter what culture says, no matter what the latest fad says, this is what you hold on to. This is what you cling to tenaciously. And this is what will allow you to be prosperous in life. This is it. You, you, you line up your life as best you can with what God's word tells us to do. Whether it's your finances, Pastor Todd always has a good good uh, mini message about finances. But church, if you train your children young to do things financially God's way, guess what? They're never going to lack. They're always going to have sufficiency. They're always going to prosper. If you teach them how to choose their mate for life according to the word of God, Guess what? It works. Whatever we desire to teach them to do in life, if they line up with the Word of God and say, this is how God's Word says to do it, this is the way I'm going to do it, then we know that they're going to be successful and prosper. Amen? Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That means we, we teach our children to be able to not just to read God's word, but to be able to memorize it and to speak it. It says, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Do you hear that? Why do we teach them the word of God? Why do they memorize the word of God? So that they can live a life that lines up with that word of God. Listen to the promise. Listen to this promise God gives us. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How many like that? That's a promise from God to us and to our children. That's what God desires for us. The idea there is that we know what God calls us to do, and we do what he calls us to do, and we know that our life's going to be successful. So if you desire your children to be successful, you simply teach them to meditate on Scripture and to apply it in their life. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? There it is again. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that. We teach our children, remind them that God has commanded us all to lay hold of his promises, to apply them in our life, and that he is always with us. Aren't you thankful for that? He says, don't be afraid. Our children, just like us, we should never fear. And I'm going to tell you, I have not for one second been afraid of COVID-19. Why? Because God tells me not to. Now I'm not saying that we should just totally dismiss it. I'm not saying that it hasn't affected people and people haven't died. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as a Christian, yes, you can take precaution, you can wear a mask, wash your hands, that's sensible. But church, God has not called us to live in fear. And he has given promises. And throughout this, at the, very, at the very onset, when we didn't have any people in the church and we were doing everything through the, the website and through Facebook, one of the first messages I preached was Psalm 91, where it says, No pestilence shall come nigh your dwelling." And I've prayed that over our church and prayed that over my family. And I never once gave in to fear because I know what God's word says. And it says, if he takes me home, I'm with him. And Bible says it's far better to be with Jesus. Amen. That's what he says. And it also teaches us that I'm not going to leave this world until Jesus is ready to receive me. So we don't live in fear. Yes, we use common sense. We use wisdom. But we don't let fear take control. And that's what he was telling Joshua. They were going to face some difficult things. They were going to face fear. Times when fear could come upon them. 
but they, they weren't to give in to it. Now I want us to look at the last chapter, the, the end of Joshua's life, and we're going to close with this. Look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. So first of all, he calls all those in leadership to come. And he's going to speak into their life. And then verse 2 it says, And Joshua said to all the people, so everyone gathered. He was the spiritual father and he was speaking to his spiritual children. And he comes and he, he's, he recognizes that his time is almost over. He recognized these, this is maybe the last opportunity I have to speak to everyone as a spiritual father. And listen to what he says in this passage. In verse 2, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now he begins to prophesy here. God is giving him a prophecy to speak to the nation. And he says, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. He's taking them all back in their ancestry where all of them came together with, with, with uh, Abraham, Nahor, and their father, and what, uh, their father Terah. And what he says here, listen to this in verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So he's reminding them of their ancestry. And he says, Terah died on the other side of the river. Although God called Terah to the land of Canaan, Terah stopped in Haran and he never ventured on from that city. So he begins by reminding them it's possible to have God call you to possess the land that he wants to bless you with and give you and you can never possess it because you stopped too soon. Then he says Abraham picked up the call and Abraham went to Canaan and Abraham possessed what God had for him. I love that. Then he says in verse 4, To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. So he's reciting their history of the nation that all of them can relate to. And he's reminding them of what he has done as God to bless them through this prophecy. Look at verse 5. Also I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. So he's telling them, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I sent the plagues that you may be free from Egypt. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And listen to this. There's a transition here. He says, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. So now he takes it in this prophecy from, from Abraham and from Terah before Abraham he takes it and says, now remember what I did, what you saw with your own eyes. He's referring to them being children that were still alive in Joshua's day that God had set free from Egypt and they had crossed through the Red Sea. They had saw what God did to the enemies of Israel. Church, one of the things I pray about and one of the things I do to my, for my family, I tell them about past victories in our family. I tell them about miracles. I tell them about my grandparents and what God did in their lives. Church, tell your tribal stories. Amen. 
In the First Nations peoples, that's one of their great traditions. They, they come and they gather around and they pass down their tribal stories. Pass down your stories of what God has done. You say, well, I don't really know of any tremendous miracles God's done. The greatest miracle you've ever received is when you ask Christ into your heart and life and he transformed your life. Amen? Have you ever shared that with your children? Have you ever told them where you were? I was in, in, a, in the back seat of my father's car. I was six years old. And guess what? I was hurting and I needed Jesus and I turned around and began to cry and I prayed and I said, God, I need you. I want you to come into my life to be my Savior and be my Lord. From that time on, I wasn't a perfect kid, although my mom will tell you I was. But I knew Jesus. And I loved him, and I, I, w I went to him. I knew he was with me. I knew I could trust his word. I knew that if I was going to have a life worth living, it had to line up with the word of God. So pass down your tribal stories to your children. Now look at verse 8. We just have a few more verses here. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand. Listen to that. God said, you had to go into battle, but I gave you the victory. That you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Who gives us the victories in this life? It's God. It's Jesus. Amen? And he... And, don't sugarcoat it. Don't tell your kids, oh, you're never going to have problems. You love Jesus, and Jesus is going to give you a house and a white picket fence and a big dog. Everything's going to be perfect. No, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Amen? We live in a world where Jesus tells us he's trying to do, to do that, to destroy your life. But God's word tells us the battle belongs to the Lord. He's going to give the enemy into your hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> he's going to give the enemy into your hand. I love that. Why? That you may possess the land. God wants us to possess the land. Look at verse 11. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you also, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. Don't you love that? God says, you fought this battle, and this battle, and this battle, and this battle. And I delivered them into your hand. I love that. Amen. God's the one that gives us the victory. Listen to verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of their vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. God's being generous with gifts to Israel. Our children need to know that God is a God that loves to bless them. That God loves to lavish gifts on His children. But He doesn't bless us. He doesn't give us gifts so that those gifts become idols. Are you with me? They shouldn't become possessions that we cling to. I've told the story before, but years ago I was hunting in, in Wrangell and I, I, I bought a rifle there and it was a beautiful, it was a Weatherby, it had a great gorgeous stock, all wood stock, it was beautiful and it was a, a nice rifle to hunt with and I had a young man in the church that didn't have a dad. He had never hunted, he was about 20 years old and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to invite him. 
So I said, hey, would you like to come and hunt with me? So he, he said yes, and we went over some of the hunting things, went over the rifle and how to use it, different things, and I felt confident. So I took him, and we went out, and I gave him this rifle, and I said, if you, if you go up this road, and then you cut over, there's a, a creek, and if you, up on the side of the mountain, if you come down that creek and, and hunt down that creek, you'll probably uh, spook up a, a deer. Well, he said, great. So he took off, and I went down and hunted in a different, different area. I came back later. He was on the road, and he had two bucks. And he had a smile from here to here. And I said, great job. And then I looked at my rifle, and it looked like it had been through World War II. <laughs> this beautiful Weatherby rifle with all the beauty, beautiful wood. Had, I mean, one of the dents, he took a chunk out of the stock about like a quarter. And he, he looked at me and he goes, oh, I was coming down through the, the creek and I, I tripped and stumbled and, and the rifle went in the creek and hit the rock and I said, that's okay, that's okay, I don't need to hear anymore. But I, I've always strived, when God has blessed me with something in my life, it belongs to him. And I thank God, and God gives, and God takes away. And I'm thankful for all the things he's blessed me with. But I've always made sure, whether it was a nice home, whether it was a nice car, whether it was a nice toy, whatever it was, that it was always God's, and I was always willing to bless somebody else with what God blessed me with. And that's something that, that God wants us to teach our children. That's what God is teaching here through this prophetic word to the nation. Joshua's teaching them about God gives generously. Look at verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt serve the Lord. Based on the verbs that, that are in this passage, this chapter up until now, God's saying, because of all that I've done for you, you can trust me. Now go on in and possess the land. Don't have those idols. Choose me. Live for me sincerely. If there's one thing I want to teach my children is that church isn't just about fellowship with people. It's not just about singing some songs. It's not just about coming in and hearing a pastor share a passage of Scripture. Your walk with God needs to be sincere. It needs to be genuine. Because your Father's walk with God is not going to open the doors of heaven for you. My grandfathers, both of them were great men of God. My uncles were great men of God. My dad wasn't perfect by any means. He made some terrible mistakes in life. But he finished strong. And he was a man of God. And I tell my children, your relationship with God needs to be your relationship with God. Because you're not going to get there on my relationship. And notice something else that Joshua says here. In verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or, listen to this, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Up until this time, he had been talking about idols from other, other places. And now he was talking about idols in the land that they had possessed, where they were. And there's a message there, church, 
that we can tolerate the things of the world in our area, in our land that we've been called to possess. And don't do that. Don't compromise. The church is entering into a time of greater persecution. We're entering into a time when Evil is, is around the world just raising its ugly head. Evil things are taking place. But church, I want you to know, none of it takes God by surprise. And if we follow his plan, follow his guidance, we still win the battle. Because Jesus wins it for us. Amen? And I want, I want to make this clear. I had somebody a few weeks ago that, when I was praying at the end of the, end of the message, I said, Lord, we've read the end of the book and we win. And he took offense to that. He said, we never won anything. And I said, well, Scripture says, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anytime I talk about victory, church, it's only because of Jesus. God reminds them over and over again, you're going to face battles in life, but remember, I've given the enemy to your hand. I've given you the victory. We're never saying we can do it on our own because we can't. But when we line up with the Word of God and we're genuine and we, we teach our children to be sincere, genuine, have that relationship with God, live according to His Word, God's going to give the enemy over to your hand. I love that. And notice something else in verse 15. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... That's, got, that's such a strange thing to say. But what he is saying there, in the original language it means, it carries the idea of a disintegrating way of life. In other words, you look at the life of those who are sincere, living for Christ, and if that way of life doesn't show you how great God is, then you make your choice. In church, I have never met a person, man or woman, who wasn't sold out for Jesus that didn't live an awesome life. Amen? Amen. Yes. I've lived an awesome life. Yes. But I made that commitment. And wh whether I was you know, before I went into full-time ministry, when I was a deputy sheriff, guess what? I didn't let that compromise my way of life. I still lived for Jesus. People still knew that I was a Christian, that I wasn't going to compromise. And you know what? They began to respect that. Even if they didn't agree with it, even if they didn't live that way, they respected that. Church, we need to be Christians like that. Not secret agent Christians. Look at verse 15, the, the, the next part. I love this, and we're about to close. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you can look, and if serving the Lord is a disintegrating way of life, then you can go serve the idols. The idols way back in, in our ancestry in Terah in the land of Ur, or the idols in Egypt, or the idols right here around us in the Am that the Amorites serve. You can serve idols everywhere. But I want you to know, there's nothing like living for God. Look at what he's done for your ancestors. Look at what he's done for you. You've seen it with your own eyes. He delivered you out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea waters. And he's given us victory after victory after victory. And that's what I want you to learn is my spiritual children. That's what I want my biological children to know. God will never let you down. You can be in the worst possible situation and God will never let you down. My Uncle Paul, my favorite of my uncles, 
I spent a lot of time with him. He was a Marine medic in World War II. I'd sit for hours and listen to his messages. He was in seven major battles in the Pacific. Guam, and Iwo Jima. And he was a medic, so he hit the lines with the men hitting the beaches under fire. There's no way he would have lived through that if it hadn't been for Jesus. But in the middle of the night, God would wake up my grandfather and my grandmother and they would get out on their knees and they'd begin to pray beside their bed and they would intercede for him. Then they'd write him a letter saying it was such and such day and in the middle of the night, our time was this. We felt compelled that God was calling us to intercede for you, to pray for you. And guess what? He would get the letter. He would write them back and say something like, I was under heavy fire on the beach in a foxhole. And they were uh, explosives going off all around me. But God protected me through it. And I could go into many stories of how, how God protected him. In church, it's all because of Jesus. People that had devoted their life listening to God, praying for their children. He came through that and he came back home and he became a policeman for the Dallas Police Department. And one thing he prayed, he said, God, I never want to have to take another life. He was in many situations where, where he was threatened with life, and he, he just prayed, Lord, help me not to have to take a life. One time there was a, a, a local gangster, and that's what they were, that he chased into a warehouse. And before he went in, he said, God, I know only one of us is going to come out because he's threatened to take my life. But God, you know my heart. I don't want to have to take another life. He prayed and then he busted through the door and he, he went in and he went in and he, 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 he just started moving around and, 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 and trying to be careful and trying to apprehend this criminal, knowing that the criminal had said he was going to take his life. And in a few minutes, he heard a shot go off. And he, he, he made his way cautiously and he came up upon him. And the gangster had tripped and shot himself and killed himself. He, w he wasn't happy that the man had to die, but he was thankful he didn't have to take his life. He was a man's man, and if you don't get anything else today, I'm ending with this. Jesus was a man's man. He was the greatest man. He was a leader of men. You don't have to carouse. You don't have to do all the things of the world to be a man's man or to be a leader of men or to lead your family. And I just challenge you today. I want the fathers, I want you all to stand up and I want you to stand up whether you're a biological father today or a spiritual father because I want to pray for you today. So I want you all to stand up. I have a special gift today for all of you that I personally prayed over, our intercessors prayed over, and I'm going to have our teens start to pass them out. I want you to go out through the congregation and all the men that are standing, please hand them one. I want you to know I picked out these gifts personally. I didn't want to give some wimpy gift to our men. So I gave each one of you a nice pocket knife. Now I want, I want you to, I want to pray over you, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for not just our men today, but this message is for all of us. Because all of us have been called to be spiritual mentors, to be spiritual parents to others. 
even if we're not biological parents. But Father, I bless our men today. I thank you for the men in our church that we are not, Lord, we're not men that get caught up in the things of the world. We're not men that are ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, we're men like Joshua that want to declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, we're men here today that want to teach our children there's going to be battles in your life, but the, but the Lord, if you live for him, if you follow him, that the Lord will always give the enemy over to your hand. That you can go from victory to victory to victory. And Lord, that's what we pray for our children. Father, I, I pray for our men, that they wouldn't hesitate to live in sincerity to you. That they wouldn't be ashamed of being a Christian man. That they wouldn't, Lord, fall in with the idols around us in the world. But Lord, they would sincerely follow you. And Lord, I pray that just like Joshua, Every man in this building, Lord, one day would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in fact, before we go any farther, if you're a man here today, you don't have any biological children, but you want to make that declaration, I want you to stand with us. I want you to make that statement as well. It's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Father, you see our hearts today. And we make that declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, bless these men. Strengthen them. Make them courageous. Lord, and help them to train up the next generation to live in victory. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.